Have you ever made excuses uh, why you can't do something for God? Have you ever made excuses back to God as to why you are not able to follow through? In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, Rick Warren reminds us about making excuses. Here's what he says. Abraham was old. I can get that one. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. And Timothy was timid. This is quite a variety of misfits, but God used each of them in his service. He will use you if you stop making excuses. That's what Rick Warren said. So, um, God is not looking for excuses. God is looking for people of faith. That's what we've learned so far in the book of Exodus. Uh, Let's do a quick review, and then I know that for some of you it's your first time here, so here's a quick review. The, The book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, ends with Joseph leading his family into Egypt. His family is made up of his father Jacob and 11 brothers, and the whole family is about 70 people. The end of the book of Exodus, which uh, end of the book of Genesis, which goes into Genesis. In Exodus 1, we learn that there arose a king in the land who did not know Joseph, did not know about Joseph's reputation in this high position in the land of Egypt many years before. Out of fear of their tremendous numerical growth, you remember, he oppressed them, and he put them to forced labor. Then he ordered midwives to kill the baby boys, and that didn't work. Then he ordered that all male children be thrown into the Nile River, and that didn't work. The Israelites continued to be fruitful and multiply, and that just made matters worse. Then Moses was born, Exodus chapter 2, and his family kept him three months. And he was put into the Nile River just like Pharaoh ordered, but it was a baby ark that he was put into. And he was retrieved by Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised in Pharaoh's household for 40 years. That's Exodus chapter 2. You also remember that Moses killed an Egyptian, and uh, he had to run out of Egypt in fear for his life. And he ended up in the desert in Midian. And there he met his wife and had two sons and lived there 40 more years. And then we come to Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, he met God at a burning bush. And during that conversation, God told Moses that God was about to intervene and help So, we come to our outline tonight, and there is one in your program if you'd like to follow along. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, doubting God's plan. Have you ever doubted God's plan for your life? 
Or are you even sure that God has a plan for your life? Here's a few things I can tell you about this plan. For sure, he wants you to trust Jesus as your personal Savior. He wants you to start following Jesus. He wants you to learn obedience by faith to follow Jesus. He also wants you to learn to be kind and compassionate and forgiving and morally pure, loving one another, serving one another, encouraging one another. He also wants you to be involved in making disciples of all nations. And I know that God has a plan for your life, and it includes these things. There are some other things that aren't quite so clear, like does God have a plan for you to be married or not married? Or does God have a plan for you to have children or not children? That's not written. Um, God has given you a great deal of freedom to make career choices. And uh, for some of you to be doctors and some of you to be nurses and some of you to be teachers and carpenters and lawyers and students and housewives and mechanics and sales reps, and you have a freedom to choose a God-honoring career. I can tell you, I know he doesn't want you to be drug dealers. Choose a God-honoring career. The plan for Moses' life, because God did have a plan for Moses' life, uh, is revealed in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, and this is just a little reminder from last week. The Lord said, this is to Moses at the burning bush, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. This is huge. You don't see this in the Old Testament. And when it happens in the New Testament, it's Jesus who comes down to rescue his people from the power of sin. And here in the Old Testament, it says, God has come down. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Next slide. And I'm going to jump down to verse 10. And, and God says to Moses, so now go. This is, this is the Great Commission to Moses. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God has a plan for Moses' life, and that's it. That's a 40-year plan right there. Okay? That's, now, we, you should have a map to make things straight. Here's the map from last week. So let me remind you, we go up to Goshen, the lower Egypt up there, you see. That's where Joseph's family settled, the 12 tribes of Israel, and that's where they grew and they multiplied. And they were ordered to build the cities of Python and Ramesses, store cities. That's where they became slaves to Pharaoh. Moses escapes Egypt, and he comes down to Midian, lower right. That's where he met Jethro, and that's where he met his wife, and that's where he lived and became a shepherd for 40 more years. So Moses uh, extends his, uh, sh his shepherding uh, all the way down to Mount Horeb, which is the same place as Mount Sinai. And by the way, that's where the burning bush was, okay? So this is the geography, but it's kind of important. All right. And then just jump up there to Jerusalem. That's in the promised land where God is sending Moses eventually with all the people. All right. Moses has some doubts. 
Chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? So God is sending Moses, and Moses is saying, What if they don't believe? Uh, you know, he's got some, this is, this is a reasonable question. Remember, Moses wasn't popular in Egypt. He killed the Egyptian, right? They didn't care for him. They ran him off. And Moses wasn't popular with the Hebrews in Egypt. Why? Because he killed an Egyptian and tried to make himself their, uh, their guardian. And they didn't like that. And uh, so Moses has some doubts here. And it's sort of like, a, well, what if, Lord? What if? What if? What if this doesn't work out? And, you know, I, I sort of am a person like that. I want to know all the facts. I, have, I want all the questions answered, and then I'll, I'll jump, okay? Moses has doubts. Now God answers in verses 2 through 9. First, it's the miraculous sign, the snake, verses 2 through 5. And notice that God answers a question with a question. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? That's an easy question. And Moses says, a staff. This is like a divine object lesson for Moses. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. That seems like kind of a dumb idea. Why would you throw your staff on the ground? Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. I probably would too. But please notice, this is the only reference to running in the sermon. (laughs) Moses ran from the snake. So the lesson is, if your staff becomes a snake, run. But this, this whole thing is a little unusual. It's out of the ordinary. It goes beyond the natural. This is why it's going to be supernatural. It's going to be a sign. It's going to be a miracle. The Lord said, said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. I'm sorry? What? Take it by the tail. That sounds dangerous, Lord. So Moses reached out his hand. He took hold of the snake and turned it back into a staff in his hand. So what happened? Moses did what God said. Moses is living by faith. Moses is taking, he's finally getting it. When God speaks, Moses is to follow. This is not going to be an ordinary staff. And one of the things we're going to see is that God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Verse 5, this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, and remember this, the God of Abraham, that's important. The God of Isaac, that's important. The God of Jacob, that's important, has appeared to you. This God who hundreds of years earlier revealed himself to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob, It's the same God who's made the promises made to those. Same God is appearing now. And he's following through on what he said years earlier. And God said, this is so that they may believe the Lord God has sent you. Miracles like this in the Bible. And you'll find that nearly every miracle in the Bible has one purpose. And it's to authenticate the message and the messenger. Moses is the messenger, and God wants his people to listen to Moses and listen to the message that he brings. Something else is going on here, too. Snakes were sacred to the Egyptians, especially 
the cobra. Now, I wish I had a picture of a cobra, but I forgot to include a picture of the cobra. The miracle here pictures God's authority over the snake. And it, it even could have, could have been a, a cobra that the staff turned into a cobra. We don't know. It was a snake. The snake also, you recall, was an instrument of Satan in Genesis chapter 3. Satan used a snake for his purposes. And that's when Adam and Eve were tempted, and it's when they fell into sin. And God's uh, controlling the snake uh, indicates his authority even over uh, Satan, a symbol of his authority over Satan. Now, uh, we have a couple pictures here. So this is uh, King Tut on the left, and uh, he actually lived and ruled in the 14th century B.C. And on the right is, if I can pronounce it, uh, Pharaoh Amenhotep, and the third, and he was also in the 14th century B.C., and that's roughly the time of um, Moses, roughly. We, we, I don't know, we don't know for sure which pharaoh was, was alive, but uh, please notice their headgear. I wish I had the cobra beside it, because the cobra for them was a symbol of power, and this was a symbol for the pharaohs, a symbol of power, and God just starting out with turning the, his rod into a snake and then just taking charge again and turning it right back into a rod. That was a picture of what's coming, his power and his authority that are coming to Egypt. Second miraculous sign, the leprous hand, verses 6 and 7. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out again, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. This would be scary, you know? And it was leprous. We don't know what that, what that was. We don't, we don't know what it looked like. It was white as snow. One of the things we should be aware of is that leprosy in the Bible is a very broad term. Uh, we think in modern day, we use the term leprosy. In modern day, it usually refers to something like Hansen's disease. But leprosy in the Bible would have included Hansen's disease and many other kinds of skin issues. And uh, so it's a very broad concept. Verse 7, now put it back into your cloak, God said to Moses. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and then we took it out. It was restored like the rest of his flesh. This was a sign that showed God's power and authority over disease, a disease which was very common in ancient Egypt. It was a powerful miracle, an attention-getter. That's what miracles are for, to get people's attention. Pay attention. God is doing something. God is speaking. Listen up. Here, it's com here it comes. Third miraculous sign, river, uh, river water turned into blood, verses 8 and 9. Here's God's strategy, verse 8. Then the Lord said, here's the condition. If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second, okay? But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. What is God looking for? God is looking for faith. God is looking for people who will believe. 
When he sends a messenger with a message, he wants them to trust him, to pay attention. That's why the miracles are here. This, this third sign, to take water from the Nile River. If you know uh, about history, the Nile River was sacred to the Egyptians because from it came life. It was drinking water. It was bathing water. It nurtured their land. It nurtured crops. It, it provided life for the animals. It was sacred. And this sign shows that God's authority and power over the Egyptians' sacred river. So, here we are. God has shown Moses three miraculous signs just to answer his doubts. It seems to me like God is going out of his way to help Moses. Um, by the way, do you, you know of anybody in the Bible that God took the time to answer their questions with three miraculous events just to show, I'm with you, Moses. I'm going to be there for you. But Moses still has more doubts. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been able to talk much, to talk well. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, do you think these are excuses or reasons? He's saying, God, I've got another problem. I'm not good at public speaking. Sometimes I can't remember what I'm going to say. And sometimes I get my words turned around. I don't remember Egyptian very well. You know, I'm going to need that when I go speak to Pharaoh. It's been 40 years since I've talked much with the Egyptians. And Pharaoh and his court are really impressive, and they are very eloquent. And they're going to make fun of me. They won't like the way I'm dressed. They're going to laugh at the way I speak. Now, he could have had a speech impediment. We really don't know. He could have stuttered. We really don't know from the text. Moses, here's the point. Moses is feeling inadequate. Uh, He's fearful. He's worried about failure. He's worried about what others will think. And for him, it's a bit overwhelming. Poor guy. And God gives an answer, verses 11 and 12. And he's going to answer with a question. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Tough question. You did, Moses. Who makes them deaf or mute? You do, God. And who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Yes, God, it's you. Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. What do you think God's looking for? He's looking for a person of faith who will trust him, who will take him at his word, who will follow through when he gives instructions. Moses, what's what's going on with Moses? He's focused on himself. He's focused on his circumstances, the problems that he's facing. That's all he sees. It's, it's, it's me. It's, it's I have these. I, I've got to deal with this. Verse 13, Moses has a lack of faith. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, 
please send someone else. Because that's the real issue. He just doesn't want to do it. He just plain won't do it. And God has been very patient, very gracious. He's answered his questions. He sought to bring uh, truth to the doubts that he's facing. God has put on a display of power just for Moses. And Moses is just thinking about how hard this is going to be. And finally, it's just, Lord, I don't want to do it. Okay, that's the truth. And God is beginning to lose his patience with Moses. And God is going to revise a new plan because Moses doesn't really want to do what God said. So God revised the plan, verses 14 through 17. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. This is not good. You know, here's Moses, God's chosen servant. God's been patient. God's done miracles for this guy. He's given him the largest task in all the Old Testament history. And he said, Moses, I'm going to be with you. Go, I'm going to be with you. You can do this, Moses. I'm going to be with you. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Uh, And by the way, there's no need to find out how far you have to go before the Lord's anger burns against you. There's no need to go that far. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God because our our, our disobedience grieves God. It it stirs him up. It stirs his heart. It, It does make a difference. Yes, You might be a Christian and your sins are forgiven, but you can still grieve God. And uh, I think God was was angered and he was grieved by Moses uh, for not paying attention, for not following through. And so the amazing thing is immediately uh, God switches to a new plan. And he said, uh, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. So God adjusts his anger and displays mercy very quickly. It's true anger. It's righteous anger. And it doesn't get out of control. And it acts justly. And um, God comes up with a new plan. And this is going to cost Moses, by the way. Moses has an opportunity here that he's going to lose out on, and Aaron's going to come in, and Aaron's going to be a good guy, but you know what? He's not going to be Moses, and Aaron's going to uh, mess some things up down the road, and it's going to cost. Verse 15, and here's what God says. You shall speak to him, Moses, you speak to Aaron, and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak, and you will teach, and will teach you what to do. So, Aaron is already en route to meet Moses. And my assumption would be that God has prompted him. We don't know how Aaron knows to come, but they're going to meet. And how in the world do you find somebody in the desert if there's just two of you and they're going to meet up? I wondered about that, other than God being directing them. And the the, the idea here is is that Aaron is going to be the mouthpiece. And the way it's described here is that Aaron's going to be like a prophet. And Moses is going to be like a God to Aaron. He's not going to be God. He's going to be like a God. The idea of authority. Here's how it's going to work. God is going to communicate to Moses. Moses then is going to communicate what God said to Aaron. And then Aaron will be the speaker 
because Moses didn't want to do it. Verse 16, he will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if you, your ma- it was your mouth and as if you were God to him. Now, this isn't about Moses taking God's place, but it's this idea of authority coming down. It's going to come God to Moses to Aaron. Verse 17, this is important. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform these signs with it. Take this staff. It's the one that he threw down that came into a snake and then the snake turned back into the staff. And Moses, I want you to take it with you. This is important. And it's going to be a a simple reminder. You know, God's going to take something ordinary and God didn't want this staff ever to be worshipped. It's an ordinary piece of wood, but God can use it to do the extraordinary. 18 through 31, moving with God, God's revised plan. Here we go. Step one, Moses has to return home. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, which would be in Midian. Moses has been at the burning bush, you remember, at Mount Sinai, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are alive. Now Moses doesn't tell Jethro the story. You know, can you imagine going back to your father-in-law and say, well, I talked to this bush, and the bush said, I've got to go to Egypt, and the Pharaoh's going to let the people go? He doesn't tell him all that. I don't know if Jethro would have believed him. But he is curious about his family. And so he, he asks, he really gets permission, let me return to my own people. And Jethro says, go, I wish you well, man. You've been here for 40 years. It's time to go. Uh, so l- look back at the map. So Moses has been at the burning bush. He's got to go back to Midian before he goes to Egypt. All right? Step two, depart for Egypt, verses 19 through 20. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. The time is now, phase one of God's plan. People are dead who wanted to kill you. Verse 20, so Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. So Moses responds by following God's instructions, which is all about living by faith. And notice also in verse 20, and he took the staff of God in his hands. He's starting to get it. God said, Moses, take the staff with you. He's got to take the staff with him. If Moses is going to do the job, he needs to do it God's way. And if God says, take the staff, even if it's just a piece of wood, Moses, you better do it. It's going to be important. Step three, get God's clarity on this plan. Verses 21 through 23. More information, new information. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt and see that you you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. You see what's new there? I knew you would. He was supposed to go to Israel and show them the signs, but now God says, no, I'm also going to have you go to Pharaoh. This is a little more complicated. You've got to go to the Egyptians too. And then God says, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. 
So Moses needs to follow the plan, and at the same time, God is going to make it harder. It's going to get more difficult, Moses. Verse 22. You know, we always just like the simple way, the most comfort, the easiest way. And a lot of time, God puts things in our path, obstacles that make it difficult, and we have to trust him. And we seem to grow when we do that. Verse 22, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. This has never been said before. These are the words Moses is supposed to speak to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, those slaves you have, those people you oppress, those, those poor people who dress funny and take care of sheep and goats, and we know you don't like sheep and goats, these are special people. They're my firstborn son. He's going to speak to them as one. They are my firstborn son. This is, there's a little parallel going on here because there's going to be a firstborn in the New Testament and his name is going to be Jesus. Verse 23, this is what Moses say to Pharaoh, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. Let, let my people go so that they can worship God. But you refuse to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. So Moses, just go to Pharaoh and tell him because you won't let my first son go, firstborn son go. I'm going to take the life of your firstborn son. Step four, deal with past mistakes, verses 24 through 26. Moses has some unfinished business with God. Verse 24, at a lodging place on the way. The Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. This is one of those unusual little spots in Scripture. God met Moses. Moses is going to be the champion, and now God is about to kill him. Verse 25, But Zipporah took a knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. So Moses has two sons. One is named Gershom. We've been introduced to him. One uh, is named Eliezer, and we don't know his name yet. Exodus 18, we'll learn his name. Now, here's the deal. One or both of Moses' sons have never been circumcised. Is that a big deal? Well, yes, it is. Why? Because in Genesis 17, God told Abraham that all male, males, children or adults, over the age of eight days, must be circumcised as a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. So if you're a Hebrew and a male and you're eight days old or older, you are to be circumcised. It is a sign of the covenant. It is a sign of obedience. It's a step of faith to do what God says. It is not about their salvation. It's a sign of the covenant. And Moses has raised two kids and at least one of them has not been circumcised. And Moses is not going to be the leader and go back. And, uh, and, and do you remember how many times we've heard of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? Because of the covenant God made with them. And Moses, you aren't going to be a part of this covenant unless you follow through. You are responsible for your sons. And so Zipporah steps in. We don't know what happened to Moses here. Moses, maybe when God was going about to kill him, maybe Moses became ill, but Zipporah steps in. We don't know how much information she has, but she has enough that she knows that there needs to be a circumcision right on the spot, and she takes care of it. And it says she did it with a flint knife, and I hope it was sharp. 
And uh, she threw the foreskin right at Moses' feet. And that may be a euphemism, but I won't tell you for what. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. And uh, this whole event did not please Zipporah, that she had to do this, that she had to cut some skin. And I don't know how old her son was. I'm guessing he was over eight days. Probably was a young adult or an adult. Maybe he wasn't even young. I don't know. But uh, she, she did this, and she said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. Whatever she did, she uh, stood in there, and because of the obedience of the circumcision, now God pulls back. God expects his man to be above reproach. And if he doesn't follow through on the instructions, he can't lead. Step five, meet the co-leader. We're almost finished. Hang in there. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses on the mountain of God, and he kissed him. So Moses and Aaron, they are brothers. They haven't been around each other. They, have, they didn't grow up together. And, the, and here they are on Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And they, they, they uh, caught up on their family. Verse 28, then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and also about all the signs that he had commanded him to perform. So Moses laid out the entire plan that God had given to him. Now you have to give it to, you have to, give it to Aaron here. Aaron's three years older, doesn't know Moses very well, but Moses, Aaron is willing to step up and, and to, to join in. He's willing to go before Pharaoh. He's willing to be the spokesman. You've got to give him some credit, but he's going to have some pr- problems later. Step six, get Israeli leaders on board. 29 through 31. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. So the elders would have been family heads. Verse 30, and Aaron told them everything the Lord said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. So Aaron speaks on behalf of Moses. The miracles take place, verse 31, and they believed. It didn't take them long, did it? They didn't have any excuses. They just believed. And when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. What a way to end a passage. God is moved and he's coming. But you know what? Their problems aren't solved. They're still slaves. And they, they are humbled in the presence of God and they bow down and they worship. Okay, here's some lessons. Number one, remember that doubts and excuses are just human nature. But faith pleases God. Remember that doubts and excuses are human nature. Moses had doubts. Moses had excuses. Eventually, he caught to move by faith, to act in faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. God is looking for faith today. He's looking for people who take him at his word who will do what he says. That's what living by faith is. Secondly, God has a plan for your life, just like he has for Moses. And I'm not going to take the time to remind you of all those things. Uh, that he are, he are, We know he has a plan for you. Um, we know that he wants you to surrender his life as a living sacrifice. He wants you to live a holy and sexually pure life. He wants you to be concerned about the poor and the widows and the orphans. And then, you know, that's a great thing about what you're doing with Team World Vision is because of your care, you're providing for widows and orphans clean water. 
He gives all kinds of freedom to make decisions about choosing a mate and choosing a career and choosing uh, your grocery list, and he promises to direct your course every day. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know this passage well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him or acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will give you direction. He will give you wisdom just one day at a time. Thirdly, God promises to help you fulfill his plan for your life. He doesn't leave us alone. He promises to help every step of the way. Just like he promised, he says, I'm going to be with you, Moses. I'm going to be with your speaking. I'm going to, I'm going to be with your teaching. I'm going, to, I'm going to show you what to do. Hebrews 13.5, we saw this last week. Never will I leave you, God says. Never will I forsake you. So say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. That's just as true for you today as it was for Moses. Number four, be careful about making excuses with God. Moses made one too many excuses with God. He reached a point where he just refused to trust God We do that sometimes. Sometimes we just refuse. You get all your questions answered, you know the right thing to do, and you don't do it. Be careful about making excuses with God. Number five, God doesn't need us to do his work, but it pleases him when we are willing to do his work. God didn't need Moses. God didn't need Aaron. He he was pleased to choose them, and um, he could have gone around them and picked somebody else, and God picks you and me to do various things for him. He doesn't have to do that, but he does. And when he uses us, his favor is on our lives. His grace is on our lives. His blessing is on our lives. Number six, sometime God, sometime God waits for us to correct the mistakes of our past by following through in the presence so Moses didn't follow through on his responsibility with his boys and that whole thing about circumcision, and he had to clear it up before he could go on with God. And that may be true for you or me. There might be some things in our past that we need to clear up before we go on with God. Uh, one example is, what about baptism? Not everybody in this room who claims to be a Christian probably has been baptized as a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, you should, be consider, you should consider being baptized as a follower of Christ. We're going to do a baptism at the bridge on June 7th. That's an example of something that you've maybe been, uh, you've thought about doing before, you've been prompted to do before, but you've done nothing. Number seven, faith engages the work of God Faith that engages the work of God leads to worship and honor for God. We just saw that in Exodus uh, 4.31. The leaders responded to God's messengers by faith. They honored God. They worshiped. This brought honor to God. And so, just a practical question. Does does your response to God's instructions bring honor to him? So, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we're reminded from Exodus chapter 4 of many different things.
Above all, we're reminded that you want us to respond in faith. You want us to trust you. You want us to grow in this area. We all have doubts from time to time, just like Moses. And sometimes we're prone to make excuses, just like Moses. It's my prayer, Father, that we would grow in our faith and our desire to trust you and to seek your plan for our lives. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.